Coast Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, we can do a little bit better than that. Praise the Lord, everyone. Give God a hand clap of praise in this house. Would you do that? We bless your name in the sanctuary, Lord Jesus. We worship you today. Amen. Excited about uh, our backpack ministry this coming Saturday. Uh, what we true do is we try to bless the community. You've heard a lot about it. I would like to ask you, even if you have not signed up for anything, even if you just could come by uh, the church on Saturday, um, anytime between about a little before noon to, I don't know, maybe two or three, something like that, any of that time, if you could just see what the church is doing to open our arms to the community, it will make you proud to be a part of First Church. If you're, if you've never, never seen it before, um, I'm, I'm almost jealous because the first time you come on the side and you see what is in the hearts of all the people of the church to try to do for the community, uh, it will make you very proud to be a part of a church. Good to see you all today. God bless you all. We're excited about what God is going to do. Uh, I believe that God has a very specific uh, blessing in your life, in your heart, in your circumstances that he would like to bring to fruition now to show you that he is near to you. Uh, some of you have been allowing yourself to live as though you kind of hope and wish and desire, but you have lost the immediacy of faith in your life. You're, you're not believing in the here and now. I want to give you a word today, and I want to say, if you will look for the hand of God in the here and the now, God will show himself to be real and powerful in your life. And can some church folks say amen? I am preaching from this subject today, God first. God first. Um, I want to remind you of what you already know, and that is that the whole of the Bible uh, is really a challenge for people to place God first in, in their life. Uh, you will see whatever the dispensation, whatever the uh, time of the story of the children of Israel or the establishing of the New Testament church, um, you will see this continual theme that is repeated over and over and over, and that is the challenge to put God first. Uh, this isn't something that as a, a teacher of the Bible, as a preacher, that I just needed a subject and I kind of... Uh, studied a little this week and came up with this subject and said, oh, I have a, I have a, a subject to share with them. No, this is fundamental to serving God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, this principle is so fundamental that if you do everything else but you don't do this, you will miss your way with God. I cannot say it any stronger than that. I show you this in the life of Jesus first, and that is where the gospels show him being asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? If, if we're going to establish first principles, so to speak, if we're going to establish where to begin, if, if, if I, I doubt that I can get everything right, let me just see what I can start with. Uh, this is where you start. Mark chapter number 12, verse number 29. Jesus replies to the question of the greatest commandment. The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all. Somebody say all. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. In other words, there is no way to kind of serve God. Now, there's many people who are kind of serving God, but they are all missing God's will for their life by having a partial commitment to God. How do we, as believers, 
um, put God first in our life. Literally, the central idea of the Bible is this issue of putting God first. Before we argue over interpretation of Scripture, and there's a lot of ways you can argue over the interpretation of Scripture. Before we argue over the application of doctrine, and there's a lot of ways you can argue over that, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I placing God at the center of my heart and serving him as the one true Lord of my heart? This is the central idea of the Bible. You will remember in the Old Testament, one of the challenges, one of the challenges of the Old Testament was idolatry. And this is where God, the Bible shows us, was very jealous when his people worshipped another god, why? I, I actually, uh, this was not in my notes, but in the first service, I got into this a little bit, and I think it's helpful to understand the Old Testament view of God and him being a jealous God. Um, it can be a little difficult for us to understand that, because let's be honest, when we talk about a jealous God, you could also think of that, at least in the way we think about language, you could also think about that almost as a, an insecure God. And how could God, being infinite and all-powerful, be jealous of anything? I think that is uh, to miss the point of what the Bible is trying to teach us when it talks about him being a jealous God. Let me tell you the same thing a little bit differently. Imagine that your children went to the neighbor's house and said, I want to thank you for uh, buying me food to eat. And you found out about it, and you sat down with your children, and you said, wait just a minute around here. I want us to be clear about who's putting the hot dogs on the table. <laughs> If you eat what the neighbor provides, you're going to get very skinny very fast. I want you to know I am the one putting food on the table. Why does the parent do that? Is the parent insecure? No. The reason why the parent does it is because he loves or she loves that child, and it matters what that child thinks, not because the parent is insecure, but because the child is loved. Do you begin to see this a little bit better? I want you to begin to see this just a little bit better. Imagine your child, who you love, went to your relative's house, who've never done a thing for your children, and they said, I want to say thank you for providing me a safe house to live in, a roof over my head, and air conditioning in the summer, and a heat in the winter, or like my wife, heat in the summer. <laughs> Some people are going to be more comfortable in the hot place than the cool place. That's all I have to say about that, but moving along in a mostly fun manner. <laughs> okay, I was a little too far. I take that one back. I see that finger. All right, I'm in trouble, y'all. Y'all pray. Saints pray. Uh, so, uh, a funny story about funny story about one of our pastors. Uh, he was taken out by his mom to get a spanking when he was little, and right when he got to the back of the church, he hollered over his mother's shoulder, "Pray, saints, pray." <laughs> Pretty funny. So uh, if your child thought some other person was working and sacrificing to pay for the house they lived in, to protect them, to feed them, to provide for them, why would it bother you? Not because you're insecure. It would bother you because you love that child and you want that child to know, I have organized my whole life around taking care of you. Now, I'm Imagine how God must feel when someone that he has co through covenant committed to, he has provided for them, he has protected them, he has given them a land that flows with milk and honey. They have houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. And then they go to Ashtaroth and they say, oh, Ashtaroth, give us a fertile harvest. It's not about God being insecure. It's God saying, I love you. And I want you to know I'm committed to you. And I'm the one protecting you in this place. I'm the one providing for you. I'm the one keeping you. I want you to worship me. I love you. I am your source. 
so idolatry becomes a problem in the Old Testament because of this problem of people not putting God first. Uh, you see this same principle in the life of Jesus Christ where even though he is the son of God, he still has conflict between flesh and spirit. And he prays and says, oh, my father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he showcases and illustrates real spiritual submission when he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm preaching God must come first. In the teaching of Jesus, not just the life and ministry of Jesus, but in the teaching of Jesus, this central theme is established over and over and over and over. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. I'm preaching, put God first. I didn't just need a subject for Sunday. I'm standing on the central tenet of the scripture from Genesis to Revelations. We cannot have a part-time God and then claim to serve him. No, we have to let him be Lord of all, or as the old-timers used to say, he is not Lord at all. Another picture of this in the stories of the Old Testament, you have a widow woman who has the last last oil and the last grain, and she meets the, uh, she comes into contact with the prophet, and the prophet says to her, make first a cake for me, and if you'll put God first, then you will never run out. It sounds selfish, but it's the manner from Elijah's perspective, uh, it sounds selfish, but it's the manner in which God enters into covenant. What can you do? If you will do what you can do, then I will do what I can do. Do you see? Put God first. So what happens with this widow? She does it. She trusts God. She puts God first. And what happens? Until the famine ends, her oil never runs out, and the barrel of meal that she is eating from never runs out. Put God first. In fact, God refuses to play second fiddle in our life. There can never be an offering that is what we have left. It always has to be putting God first. Have no other gods before me. Little children, beware of idols. We must put God first. And so in everything we do, Proverbs 3 and 6, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I want to read it again. I want you to apply it to yourself. In everything you do, everything I do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. How do we put God first? I want to have a quick um, uh, moment of let's, doing some, let's do some real talk here. And I want to start with using myself as an example. Um, I have been trying to serve the Lord my whole life. Um, I will not act as though I've won any awards in, in my accomplishments or anything. But I, like many of you, for the whole of my life, have been trying to serve the Lord, to please the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home, with the exception of my older brother. The rest of us were Christians. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, we, we have, a whole of our life, tried to put God first uh, in our life. And as long as I can remember, I've gone to church at least one time a week. Um, uh, for many years, I went to church uh, four and five nights a week because I was an evangelist. I've done this my whole life, and I want to give some real talk to all of you. Even when you're going to church all the time, even when your whole life is organized around church, even when you are uh, so saved that uh, even saved people think you're saved, <laughs> you have been around this thing your whole life. There still is a challenge on whether or not God is really first in your life. Um, there is so many ways that we can cut our ecclesiastical corners. <laughs> we can 
slip and kind of be church goers, but not live a life where we have placed God first. But I, I want you to know church is never a cover when we are not placing God first in our heart. In other words, if my heart is not right, my church attendance will not save me. However, what church attendance will do is it will help me keep my heart right because it's at church where other people pray for me. It's at church where I'm challenged in my spirit and in my lifestyle. It is at church where there's an altar that I'm invited to come to and humble myself and say, God, let my soul be right before you. And can some church folks say amen? We must put God first or we will not be saved by our culture. This is the challenge of the lawyer who comes to Jesus and asks him this technical question, what is the great, greatest commandment? This is where we read the first scripture where Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. He asks this technical question and Jesus answers it uh, technical in a technical, precise manner. However, this individual does not consider the consequences of his asking. Um, and there's different gospels tell the story with uh, slight different details, which shows the, uh, in many ways, it shows the authenticity of the Bible, the fact that the accounts are not exactly right. Why does that show the uh, uh, authenticity of the Bible? Because if we were just making something up, we could all agree on a story, right? But if a bunch of people are trying to get it right, uh, you understand different people will remember different things. And when you read it, it's slightly different. That should not make you think, oh, it's not true. It should make you think these people are trying to tell it accurately, even if they remember something slightly different. In fact, all the legal uh, theory is aware of the fact that witnesses will remember the same circumstance very differently. It's not a sign of a lie when there's slight disagreements. It's a sign of people sincerely trying to be accurate to how they saw it. And so when you read this story, you'll find slightly different uh, takes upon the story. Uh, but it all comes down to this. This individual, he wants to know what to to do, what's the greatest commandment? The Lord looks into his heart and basically challenges him. You've kept the law from when you were young. You know all about, you know, church culture, so to speak. But there's something you need to do that's not about church culture. It's about your heart. And this is what it is. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And uh, I will make you rich in a way this world can never make you rich. You see, and so he had this opportunity, but he was willing to be a part of his church culture. He was willing to be a part of synagogue life. He was content with religious culture, but the Lord was not Lord of his heart. You see the challenge. You see the challenge. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves this question, how do I put God first? Now, uh, you know that we call our church First Church, and it's not because we were the first church in Charlotte. Now, in our particular um, theological inheritance, uh, we were the first church of a certain fellowship, and that's all fine and good. Um, but uh, outside of that, that's not why we call our church First Church. Um, there is a multi-layered uh, approach to why I love uh, being a part of First Church. And the first reason is this. We try to do things like they did in the New Testament. That means we baptize like they did in the first generation church. Not everybody does that. We do it exactly like they did in the first generation church in the name of Jesus in full immersion. We do that just like the New Testament church. We believe that the giving of the Holy Spirit with the sign of tongues is for us, not just the first century Christians. And we celebrate the giving of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit evidenced by tongues. Remember, 
The Holy Spirit is God within you. It's you being the temple of the Lord. Tongues is a sign that God gives you as a personal testimony of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you have never received the gift of tongues in your life and you want to, I want you to know we want you to receive it. We want you to experience it. If you're not comfortable being caught up in praise and worship and kind of lost to uh, thinking about things and just caught up in worship, it may be a little bit difficult for you. You may have to get comfortable in praise and worship because the inhabitation of the Spirit follows praise and worship. The Bible teaches us he inhabits the praises of his people. But if you never get caught up in praise, it's going to be hard to be surrendered and lost in the Spirit. That's just some, that's just me being honest. The Lord is not going to force you. He's not going to grab your lips and slap them together. I would love to see that. Um, but um, I, that's not how you receive the gift of tongues in your life. It is a result of you being lost in the Spirit. This is why they had to tarry in Jerusalem for days. They're so saved. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years, and it still takes them like nine days to get where they need to be. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It's not something that you just rush into. It's not something that just immediately happens. It doesn't even happen. Uh, I, there are circumstances where it happened, but very often it is a result of a seeking after God, a surrender of yourself to God. Anyway, um, we have things that can help you. We have small groups you can be a part of where uh, we talk about this. We have classes um, that you can begin that process of learning enough to where you get comfortable in surrendering to God. Now, this is what I know. The moment you get comfortable surrendering to God, you will receive the gift of the sign of tongues very quickly. The challenge is not the sign of tongues. The challenge is you getting comfortable being lost in the spirit. That's why we tarry. <laughs> and so um, the point I want you to I want you to see here is that we call ourselves First Church because we try to do it like the New Testament church uh, did. Uh, we try to collaborate with weak temple worship together, and then small groups house to house. They did that in the New Testament church. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we are called First Church. Another reason is because all of our understanding of God's nature is built upon the Hebrew it, uh, Shema, uh, basically what we read in the very first scripture, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, that's a fundamental tenet of our church. Um, we do not deny the Father. That would be silly. We certainly do not deny the Son. That would be silly. We do not deny the Holy Spirit. That would be silly. But all of these are the working of God in his nature and in his, na- in his essence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, that is the single most important commandment in all the word of God, but that's the first half of it. And we celebrate it. You call us first church that we are Christians, but we found ourselves on the Shema. All right, moving along. After that comes uh, how we respond to God. The first statement is about the nature of God. The second statement is how we respond to the nature of God. What do we say as the most important commandment about God? Say it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's first. Now let's finish the most important commandment, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is central. Put God first. Somebody say yes. Now, what if... What if we had some type of a early warning system that would let us know when we're talking about doing it, but we're not doing it? <laughs> I don't know if you have check engine light in your car. If you have a really old car, you may not. But I mean, really, I think uh, for this, once they started putting sensors in cars, you have check engine lights on your car. Now, the way the check engine light works is it, you don't need to know what's going on in the engine. You just need to know that when this sense, sensor goes off, you need to find a mechanic. Because if you don't, 
what could have cost a few hundred or maybe a few thousand dollars is going to cost thousands of dollars or maybe more than that. You understand what I'm saying? You have a problem. You can't tell it yet, but you have a problem. Wouldn't it be great if we had some check your heart lights? Wouldn't it be great if we had some check your attitude lights? Some of y'all, that light would be on all the time. <laughs> you wake up in the morning like, beep, check that attitude. <laughs> First week of school, beep, check that attitude. <sighs> what if we had a check your relationships light? What if we had check your prayer life light? Some of us would be lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, here's the thing. I, I wanted to find a, a simple way. This is real practical today. I wanted to find a simple way that we could have some check our soul lights that we could look at and ask ourselves, am I really putting God first? Am I just going to church or am I really putting God first. It matters because the church didn't die for your sins. The church is an aid. The church is a help, but the church is not your salvation. The church is a community of other people who are seeking to put God first. I'm glad that your parents serve the Lord if they did. I'm glad that you have friends in the church and I, that's all good and wonderful things. I'm for it, but I want you to know none of those people died for your sins. You need a relationship with God. You need to find your version of putting God first. And so uh, here is uh, the what, I, what I, I came up with. If you take first church and then you take first and you take each letter of first and turn it into a memory aid, we're going to call these the check your heart lights that can come on in your heart. These are things that you can look at and they will tell you whether or not God is really first in your life or you are kind of being a churchgoer. <laughs> You're not really putting God first. Here we go. We have F, we have I, we have R, we have S, we have T. And this is what we're going to use. The F is going to stand for finances. Somebody say, oh, Lord. I know how it kills the spirit. I'm sorry. Uh, first one's going to be finances, all right? The second one is going to be interest. The third one is going to be relationships. The next one, uh, the what am I on? The S is going to be your schedule. And finally, the T is going to be your talents. You can look at these five things, and they can serve as a dashboard of indicators in your heart and in your life to let you know how well you are doing at putting God first. Why finances? Why is that a thing? Is it just so the preacher will have money? Well, I'll be honest with you. The preacher does get a salary from the church. It wasn't the preacher's idea. It was established in the first century church where the apostles gave themselves full time to the study and teaching of the word of the Lord. And so that was a principle that was established. However, that said, I want you to know that I, I was making a living before I became full-time at the church. Not only that, I married a rich woman who keeps me in very good stead because I am a low-maintenance, low-cost husband. So everything, no comments from over here. You don't cuss in church, sister. Just don't, that's not right. That's sin. And um, don't let some of these people in the center section influence you like that. So uh, <laughs> I want you to see, uh, I would be, I, I, I worked for the church when I had a job, and I worked for the church when I had a business, and I had worked for the church when I had two businesses. At my peak, I had three businesses going at one time. All of them were doing just fine. Thank you very much. I still work for the church. If you think the plan is so the preacher can get rich, I will not deny there are stories of people misusing that. And I am never going to defend that, but I want you to see and I want you to know, to know this. Good churches are the result of people putting the church above themselves. And good work of God are the result of everybody from the pulpit to the pew putting God first. So yes, unfortunately, money becomes a church thing. It does. 
You pay the preacher out of that. You pay the full-time staff out of that. You pay your team, and most of them are uh, in some version of part-time. You pay for the air condition that keeps people cool. You pay for the padded pews that people sit on. People who blame the church about money usually weren't going to give anyway. Can I, can I give you some real talk now? The people who talk about church all being money grubbers, they, they've never given anything. They just need that attitude so they can feel good about never giving anything. They weren't going to give anything anyway. Let me tell you more. This church wouldn't exist without you guys. Everything this church has is because you believed in the church and you believed in what the church was trying to do. And you said, I'm going to invest my life in this because I believe God will bless me. God looks at your heart, the heart that says, I am going to acknowledge that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and so I'm going to take the first of what I receive and give it back to you as a sign that I can do more with 90% and your blessing than I can do with 100% and my own cleverness. Now, if you don't believe in that, you're not going to do it. And it won't matter if you get mad at me or not, because you're not giving anyway. I'm telling you, it's a thing. And it's astounding to me how money reveals our heart. Now, this isn't my idea. This is a very biblical idea. And I'm trying to I'm just going to say this and move on because I don't like talking about money. But I, I'm just going to say this. It's amazing to me that people, that they, will, they, they think they are the saved person and the most saved person in the church. They'll talk bad about other people, but they cannot get their wallet prayed through. In fact, I'll even say it a little more bolder than that. Some of the hardest people I have known at being judgmental to other people and criticizing that uh, teenage girl for what she wore and criticizing that mother for what she let her teenage girl wore. I mean, they were some of the hardest people in the church. They never could get their wallet prayed through. They ran the people who were given off. They're so holy, but they can't get their wallet holy. Now, I don't mean to be ugly, but I'm saying the heart reveals something. What you value, your heart is going to be attached to. And where your treasure is, the Bible says, there will your heart be also. So as a person who receives a salary from the church, speaking on behalf of the staff who receives salaries or some type of help from the church, on behalf of all the ministry leaders who make everything happen around here, I want to stand before all of you and I want to say thank you today for everything you've done to support this church. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I love preaching. I love studying. I love living a life in the Word of God. But hear me. Without you, I would be running a business primarily, and I can enjoy that too if I have to. But I want you to know this is here because of you. So every one of you who give, thank you. We're giving away thousands of dollars of stuff this coming Saturday to the community. Why? Because you gave. There's people in this church I could call tomorrow with a need, and I could say, there's a so-and-so need in the church, blah, blah, blah. Can I have some money to help with it? And they would send me money within before the end of the business day. That's the kind of people that are in this church. I bless you today in the name of the Lord. And all you people who don't give to the church, quit criticizing anything. You're not supporting it anyway. Honor the Lord, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. Then you will have more grain and grapes than you ever need. Our wallet reveals our heart. Now, I want to say one more thing, but I didn't say this in the first service, and I'm mad about it, so I'm going to make them all come back so I can say this right now. Um, if you do a study on uh, commandments in the Scripture and, and Scriptures that were commanded to do something, um, how many times do you think the word believe is in a commandment? Believe. Now, this is a central issue of the Word of God, right? Believe. How many times do you think there is a Scripture that commands to believe? Well, I, I have it here in my notes, and I'm excited to tell you. Uh, 272 times. 272 times there's a commandment for us to believe God, believe the promises of God, etc. How many times do you think the word pray is in the Bible? 
Uh, we're commanded to pray. A scripture commands us to pray. Well, lucky for you, I've done the work. 371 times we are commanded to pray in the word of God. Now, how many times do you think we're commanded to love one another or love people? Uh, you would think, could it be more than believe? That, that hardly makes sense because I know lots of people who they believe, but they can't love anybody. So it can't be mentioned more than that. And I know people who pray and they, they don't really love anybody. Uh, it can't be more than that. 714 times in the word of God, we are commanded to love other people. Now, are you ready for this one? How many times do you think in the Bible you're commanded to give? How many times do you think you're commanded to give in the Bible? I mean, we're talking about uh, believing 272, praying 371, love one another 714. How many times to give? 2,162. Now, let me tell you this reality. I preach on it maybe once a year. I think I'm going to be in hot water when I get to heaven. I want to say thank you. This church exists because of you. Every one of you who give, every one of you who support, we have everything we have because of you. I bless you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every, every week when I go through the deposit, I look at your names. I speak blessings over your names. I believe that God honors and I believe that finances reveals our heart. All right, I'm skipping a bunch of scriptures. Um, let me get to the I, interests. Um, uh, interests are uh, very much a part of our life. All of us have things we like. Um, those things in themselves oftentimes are not bad or good in themselves. We all have certain things we like. Um, my, For example, when me and my brother were growing up, he loved sports, and I was interested in markets. I, I, weird, I know, but that's the way it worked. So we never fought over the news newspaper because I would read the money section and he would read the sports section. Uh, and so uh, the way that worked out is he won all the sports games and I took all the money. So that's how that worked. <laughs> Just, just, just having fun. Um, look, interests are fine. Uh, you don't always, it takes time to figure out what you enjoy. If you like sports, there's nothing wrong with sports. I enjoy sports. If you like hunting and fishing, by all means. I mean, show me some pictures. You know, come to church and brag and just don't lie about how big the fish you caught was, you know. Just speak by faith. Say the, 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 the things that are not as though they were, you know. It's not lying if it's faith, brother. So um, you have to say by faith that was a six-pound bass. But uh, you may lie. Like, you may like gardening. Um, I'm discovering a little bit of a enjoyment of that. Go figure. I know who would have thunk, thunk it. Um, I still have my black thumbs of death, so no fear there. My wife likes canning and, and that kind of a thing. And uh, I, 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 I like coding uh, different types of systems. And I, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Enjoy it. But here's the thing. If you allow an interest in your life to take us over any uh, amount of your time, your attention, there comes this creeping sense that you have given hours to an interest and you haven't given any time to God. And so our interests reveal our heart. And in some serious way, we need to have a way to index ourselves and say, okay, now that was fine uh, until it got out of control. And I need to put my heart back in order because if God is not first, then uh, being religious is not going to be enough. I, I cannot get away from the central tenet of serving God, and that is he is Lord of all. Amen. And again, I say amen. Our interests matter, and when they get out of control, um, we can, if we're not careful, uh, get a lopsided way of living uh, where God's just getting a little bit of our life. And um, so these uh, interests are... Uh, uh, there should be a certain intentionality to it where, where we, we, we kind of say, all right, that, that, that has its place and that has its place. But if it gets out of control, then that which once was an interest starts to threaten becoming an idol, do you see? And so uh, here we see this challenge. Uh, I want to have a heart that's hungry for the things of God. I want to be, I don't want my only interest, interest to be in the things of this world. I want to have a heart that's hungry for the things of God. I love Ephesians 5, verse number 19. This is the Living Bible Translation. Talk with each other much about the Lord. 
Isn't that a great scripture? Talk with each other much about the Lord. What are your interests? What is taking your time? Make sure it's not all hobbies. Make sure it's not all fun. I'm glad your sports team did good this year. I don't know who your sports team is, but I hope they did good. Nothing wrong with it. Keep it in its place. It's fine. But make sure that you are living intentionally, not accidentally, and you are not letting interests become idols. The R in first stands for our relationships. Let me read Proverbs chapter number 27, verse number 19. Again, this is the Living Bible. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? <laughs> um, a mirror will reflect you in the same manner. The friends you choose will reflect you. Proverbs 13 and 20, wise friends make you wise, but you hurt yourself by going around with fools. How about that? Uh, if you want to put God first, then there is some relationships that are probably wrong. I want to say it again. If you want to put God first, then there's some relationships that are probably wrong for you. I am not against being friends with unbelievers. I think we should be friends with sinners and can also first church people say amen. I think we should have lost people that we are connected with. Here's the problem. We are to live our life as vessels that bear the presence of God where we go. And then in a dry and barren land, we empty ourselves that others might have the smallest sense that God is near to them. However, when a relationship is about them changing you and not you blessing them, when a relationship is about them talking you into evil, not you giving them strength for the good, then that relationship is harming your worship to the Lord and God is not first. What do you need to do? You need to withdraw from that. You need to get yourself strong and you need to not go back to that relationship until you're the one who is the influencer, not the one who is being influenced. And that's the truth. So help me, God. Um, if we put God first, then there is an ordering of all the other relationships in our life. The relationships of our duty and opportunity and joy and obligation like spouses and uh, parents and children and loved ones and, and dear friends, we should be made stronger and better by our commitment to God. It's not a competition between these people and God. It should make us better in every important relationship of our life. The S. So remember, the F was finances. The I was interests. Interests can turn into idols. We, we want to be worried. We want to take care. That's a better way to say it. The R is relationships. If you're going to put God first, it will be shown in relationships. The S is your schedule. What do I mean by that? Remember how I said that the warning light can warn you when something's going wrong. Your schedule can serve as a warning light to let you know when you are losing your spiritual way. You see, it's easy for us to be caught up in things that are urgent but not important. They are urgent, but they're not important. How do you know? This time next month, you won't even remember that you did it. You'll have no memories with it. It will just have been something on a to-do list that you needed to check off. And oftentimes, you will trade something that is important but not urgent, like prayer, like time in the Word of God, like investing in right relationships, like time with your kids, time with your family. Those things can always be put off because although they're important, they're not urgent. And you will, in some way, let disorder live in your schedule where you say yes to things that have no real value. You won't even remember that you did it. And what you don't realize is by saying yes to the unimportant, you were shutting the door on the important. Yeah. 
Before you can say yes to what is important, you have to say no to what is unimportant. I, I, I uh, met a, um, a guy who uh, coaches uh, CEOs and uh, really, really successful people. He only coaches them because he's so expensive. He's so expensive that normal people can't afford him. And I had some time to talk to him. And uh, we were at an event together, and I asked him about his process because, very, uh, you know, I, I, first of all, I'm intrigued. I, I, I want to be a good mentor. I want to help people. And I, he was super successful. And I mean, uh, he has clients that would fly, fly in on their private planes to spend a morning or an afternoon with him. And uh, so I was asking him about the, the processes and how he goes through the, pro- the process of taking on a new client. How does he get uh, them to the next level? And he talked about uh, one of the things he says that everybody does is they start with their goals and their values. What do you want to do? Where do you want to be in a year? Uh, What do you want to accomplish in five years? What's the plan in place? Everybody does this. He says all coaches, life coaches, uh, people who uh, help and develop leaders, they all do this. Where do you want to be? The goal, the point of a goal is to be intentional, to, to set a plan, to work your plan, and to stop doing it if you feel like it. That's the whole point of a goal. Uh, if you just don't, if you don't have a goal, you work on it when you feel like it. When you don't feel like it, don't work on it. So you work on it two days. After that, you know, you get the idea. He said, everybody does that. That doesn't make me unique. Uh, I said, well, what makes you unique? And he said, well, here's the thing. After they give me this list, I asked them to make another list. And I asked them what they are willing to give up. And if they have 10 things on this list and one thing on this list, I tell them we're wasting each other's time. You see, what you do is a direct result of what you have capacity to do. And if you are saying yes to a bunch of stuff that is urgent but not important, you have no room in your schedule, you have no room in your emotional and intellectual capacity to say yes to what is important. And he said most people have tremendous lists of goals, but no one holds their feet to the fire on what are they willing to give up. Because he said, then I go, I give to a time breakdown with them, and I see what takes their time every day. And he said, the difference between what people think takes their time and what actually takes their time is a ridiculous difference. He said, I want to know how much time they spend on social media. He said, I want to know how much, and this was at a financial type thing we were talking. He said, I want to know how much time they spend watching TV. I want to know the shows they, 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 they watch. He said, he said, they go work through all this, and then I go this list list of all that takes their time, and I ask them this question. Would this list of goals be worth it to you if you never saw this show again? Would it be okay with you if you never saw this show again, if you could reach your goals? Would it be okay with you if you never did this hobby again? And if they aren't willing to match their goals with what they put on the table, I tell them, quite frankly, we're wasting each other's time. He said, most people are impressed with the list of their goals. They're not impressed with what they're willing to put on the table in the pursuit of those goals. And if you can ever switch the order to where you work just as hard on making room as you do making a list, there is no telling to what you're able to accomplish because you start living in the magic 20% of important but not urgent. All the magic of your life exists in the things that are important but not urgent. You can put it off. You can waste the day. You can spend it. I'm preaching to myself, not just you. I'm hitting you by accident. Uh, Schedule reveals our hearts, and the schedule we live can serve as a light on our dashboard, so to speak, to say to us, I know you say that God is first, but I'm looking at your schedule here, and it seems like that's something you say. I'm not being ugly. I love you. And the last one is, as our musicians come, the last one, the T, is for talents. What do you know how to do that you can bless the kingdom of God with because you already know how to do it? What do you know how to do that you can bless the kingdom of God with because you have been empowered and gifted by God to be good at that? 
once you have a sense that God has given me the personality I have, the skill set I have, the way of thinking that has allowed me to get good in these areas, the least I can do is bless the kingdom of God with the talents he has invested in me. Do you see? I don't want to just say God is first. (laughs) I want my finances to show that God is first. I want my interests to show that God is first. I want my relationships to show. Well, it's quiet because this is some plowing here today. This is some deep, deep living stuff right here. My relationships to show that God is first. Here's a tough one. I want my schedule to show that God is first. If the first victim of your bad day is your prayer time, you need to ask yourself about Correcting a mindset, perhaps. The first victim of a troublesome day should not be our time with God, although let's be honest, it usually is. Our schedule should reveal that God is first. And finally, the talents we have should be properly ordered by us going to God and saying, God, is there something I could do to bless your kingdom? Is there something I know how to do that could bless your kingdom? Is there something that I could do? This is uh, the five-fold First Church dashboard warning lights of whether or not God is first in my life, uh, whether or not God is first in your life. Stand with me all across the house. There's a lot of scriptures I've skipped. I have a ton of more stuff in my notes, but we're going to we're going to end right there. I just want you to be aware of how easy it is for us to uh, think we're putting God's first, but really we kind of put him down, you know, somewhere where we can get if we have time. And I want you to be challenged, and I want you to say to yourself, I've been saying it to you. I want you to say to yourself that that is no longer acceptable. I've got to do a better job of ordering my soul. I've got to do a better job of ordering my values and setting my priorities. Does anyone feel that way here today? Are you challenged in your spirit to do a better job of ordering your priorities? All across the house, would you lift your hands right now and would you in your own way, your own words say, God, help me to order my soul. Help me to establish my values. Help me, oh God, to put you first above everything else in my life. I don't want to just be a religious person who knows how to talk in a churchy way. God, I want to place you first in my life. I want to place you first in my heart. God, I want my choices to teach and preach of your goodness. I want my values to demonstrate and testify of your goodness. God, as a people, as your people, we want to be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you step out of the chair you're in all across the house and would you just come down to the front as you come, would you just lift your hands in the presence of God and would you say, Lord, I'm putting you first today. I'm putting you first. I I know I can slip, Lord. I know I can get a little bit lazy. I know I can miss, miss, allocate my time. I know I can lose my my disciplines and spiritual things, God. But today, I'm making a commitment today. I'm putting you first in my life. If you have a need here today of any type, would you would you step out of the aisle so myself and other pastors can pray with you? Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.